DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with Tan Books, presents Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. Dr. Thickpen is an internationally known speaker, best-selling author, and award-winning journalist who has published 43 books in a wide variety of genres and subjects, including The Rapture Trap, A Catholic Response to End Times Fever, and The Manual for Spiritual Warfare, the book on which this series is based. In 2008, Dr. Thickpen was appointed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to their National Advisory Council. He has served the Church as a theologian, historian, apologist, evangelist, and catechist in a number of settings, speaking frequently in Catholic and secular media broadcasts and at conferences, seminars, parish missions, and scholarly gatherings. Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Paul, thank you again so much for joining me. Thanks for the invitation to be here, Chris. God bless you. Well, in our previous conversations, we've kind of delineated what the battle is and who the enemy and some of the uh, different uh, ways he and those evil spirits, essentially the uh, diabolical spirits, can assail us. But in this particular series of conversations, we want to talk about the commanders and our comrades who are just incredible and why the victory has been won. And it's so important because it's warfare can be intense. And you start thinking about the power that the devil has and his demons and those kinds of things. It could be easy to, to get terrified or intimidated. But, but the good news is that he's, he's already been defeated and that, that our Lord, by his passion and death and resurrection, has, has already defeated him. And that's why St. Paul could say to the Corinthians, thanks be to God who's given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that, uh, that's so incredible. We, we would be, we'd be lost without him. It would be terrible. I, you know, I think back to the days when my final days as an atheist and where I had begun to encounter demonic powers and, but still didn't believe in God. And, and it shocked me out of my, my materialist position that all that existed was kind of what you could see in here, matter and energy. And I finally realized there are other things out there that are beyond this nature that I see around me, and they're evil, and they're out to eat my lunch. And, you know, came close to despair at that moment. If those things are real, I don't have a chance. And yet I, I realized, uh, but you know, the same people and the same books that told me so long ago that these things were real also said that there was a God and a Lord Jesus Christ who conquered them. I'm going to go back and read, and I'm going to go back to those people and talk again. If there's a devil and there's no God, I'm really in trouble. But if there's a devil and there is God, then there's hope. And that's, that's the message. You know, there's hope because of our commander. In the manual for spiritual warfare, over and over and over again, you cite scripture passage upon scripture passage that really helps us to, uh, kind of like our Lord in the desert, just constantly identify what that is and then talk back to it in the sense that it's not our words, but it's his words. And of course, I mean with a capital H. And it, it is it's so much more powerful. There's, uh, you know, it's one thing for us, to, and our own words are important too. But it's one thing for us to resist the enemy and tell him to flee or contradict what he says to us. But when we do it in the words of, of Jesus himself, our faith is so much greater. Our confidence is so much greater that, that what we say is true. And he, the enemy goes to accuse us, and we take the words of, of Scripture that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. He is an accuser, and he's been cast down. Or that in his glorious triumph, he'll, he'll come with all his saints and the armies of heaven. Or, or St. John's words, which I— come to again and again, he says, you are of God, dear children, and have overcome him, 
devil, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And how many times have I had to say that to the enemy? The one who's in me is greater than you are. So get lost. That's right. And that's something that we always have to remember. We had those two incredible witnesses. Well, and in so many of the writings of scriptures, but in particular of St. Paul and St. John. St. Paul says, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And here, just as you cited in First John, John the Apostle tells us once again, he who is in you, he is greater than he who is in the world. Who is in us? The great commander, our Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, the enemy is only a creature. He's a very powerful one. He has powers we don't have. But he's not some God of equal power to the good God. You know, so we're not dualists. We don't believe that there's a good God and a bad God who have to fight it out through history. He's a creature who went wrong. And even though he's, he's very powerful, um, God is still God. There's only one God who's omnipotent, who's all-powerful and all-knowing. And as St. Paul says, that, that he will soon crush the devil beneath your feet. And that's such a powerful promise to hold on to. And you alluded to earlier as well, those armies of heaven which consists, as St. Paul said in the letters to the Thessalonians 1 and 2, it's, it's with all his saints and it's with the angels. Yes, that beautiful reference in Revelation that talks about Christ coming back as a warrior. I know a lot of folks aren't comfortable with that image of Christ as warrior because we, we just think of him as the suffering servant and the Lamb of God. And all that's true, but the book of Revelation shows him not just as the Lamb who was slain, but also as the conquering warrior at the end who does finally totally crush and corral all the, the enemies of the saints, all the, the, uh, the evil that we're fighting against. And talks about when he comes, he comes with the armies of heaven. And so you ask, well, who would be the armies of heaven? Well, St. Paul then comes in and he, he specifies that in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. He says he will come with all his saints. And to, in 2 Thessalonians, he says he'll come with the angels of his power. So those are like the two great divisions, you might say, of his army, of his host. Those are the comrades we have in battle. That the queen of the saints, the queen of the angels, Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. It, she is also referred to as the queen of humility. And yet it's in that humility that the irony of it, can we say, that she is able to crush the head of the serpent. You know, I think it's important for us to see that what Our Lady did was to undo what Eve had done and to undo what the devil had done. How did the devil fall through his own pride? You know, we, we get in the uh, book of Isaiah, the, the words that I will ascend to the mountain of the Lord, you know, and he wanted to take God's place. And so his great pride and gets undone. It gets overturned by Our Lady's humility, by, you know, his, his fiat was I will rule and her fiat was let it be done to me according to thy word. And so her humility overturns his and, and she undoes what the devil did. She, she unties that knot that the devil tied, so to speak. And, and you get that that predicted, prophesied all the way back in Genesis. When the Lord speaks to the serpent, who of course represents the devil, says, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's why, of course, we have all these wonderful images of Our Lady, not just with the crown of stars above her head and the moon beneath her feet, as we get the image in the book of Revelation, but also with, with the head, head of the serpent crushed underneath her heel. Because Jesus did the direct battle. She, by her fiat, by her agreement with the Lord, yes, of course, do, do what you want, and I will bear your son. By that fiat, she, she also took part in that crushing of the serpent's head. And by 
Eve gave a yes to the enemy's temptation and brought death and the devil's domination to the world. But Mary's yes to God instead of the enemy opened the door for the ultimate victory of her son over Satan. That's why we call her the new Eve. By her obedience to God, she undid what the first Eve had done by her disobedience. Well, one of the great saints that you mentioned here is not only a doctor of the church, but a loyal son of St. Francis, that St. Bonaventure, who writes so very strongly that, and he was a brilliant, brilliant, intelligent man, but even he had to acknowledge that men do not fear a powerful, hostile army as much as the powers of hell fear the name and protection of Mary. And we get that, you know, not, it's not just a speculation. There's all kinds of experience of that. And exorcisms, a recent exorcist who, who talks about how an enemy, a demon, was protesting over the praying of a Hail Mary and saying every time, I'm paraphrasing, but every time you say that Hail Mary, it's like a hammer hitting my head. <laughs> They have such a hatred for Our Lady, and they know that she's, she's overcome them. She's the queen of angels, and as I say in one of my prayers in here, she's the queen of angels, and she's the bane of devils. They fear her, and they tremble before her. Her name is, is terrible and powerful, just as the name of Jesus is. Yeah, well, to them particularly, it's so beautiful that in the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, you have a whole section on prayers to Our Lady, and they are some of the most beautiful Paul, uh, prayers that we could enter into, so many of them. Each one could, you could just spend a whole time in adoration just contemplating the few sentences that comprise each individual prayer. And they are, you know, some of them are words that have been given to us by the church. Some of them are words that have been given us by the saints, by the liturgy. A few of them I composed. One of the things I love about being Catholic wasn't true uh, before I came into the Catholic Church was I, I came from a tradition that so highly valued spontaneous prayer, which is, of course, a good thing, that it tended to dismiss praying with someone else's words. And I remember hearing someone say to me one time, well, if you got to use somebody else's words and can't use your own, you're not really praying. But of course, one of the things I discovered as a Catholic is that when the church or when the saints or someone else gives us words that are powerful and true and beautiful um, and that say what our hearts need to say, what a great gift that is, that we can take those words and make them our own, which is what we do every time we sing a hymn. Even if you're not Catholic, every time you sing a hymn, you're singing someone else's words that were composed by someone else. But when you take those words in your mouth the same way as it is when you, when you take a, a deliverance prayer from Scripture, take them and make them your own, it's as if not just you are praying, but the one who wrote the prayer is praying too. And, and not just that, if you're praying a prayer that is prayed throughout the church, then you're all praying that prayer in unison. And we know what the scripture says about those agreeing in prayer, that, that there's more power, even more power in that when more than one of us agree in prayer to God about what we're asking for. It's through the example, through the great witness of the cloud of witnesses, as it were, that we know that that victory can be won. And they're there to help us. As we spoke about earlier, they are in heaven. So they comprise that army of heaven. They want us to join them. So, of course, they're going to be there. And, and as you point out, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert, of course, St. Padre Pio, uh, St. John Vianney, St. Teresa of Avila, Gemma Galgani, there are so many others that have, they they're, bear witness to what the battle is, but also to the victory. And, they, you know, they know how to pray for us because they've had to go through it themselves already. 
they're not strangers to our concerns and to our needs and to our battles. It's, it's as if we're, we're some of us are young recruits in, in an army and we're going through a particularly difficult battle and we get a chance to consult with an old veteran, you know, who's who, who went through many wars and he can say, yes, I know how you feel. Let me tell you, this is this is how it's going to go. <laughs> and this is what you can do first to, to see their wisdom, to, to learn from their wisdom, uh, to gain hope from their example of victory. But also just to have them praying for us, as we know that the communion of saints is such a powerful thing that they are now perfected in love, standing before God, having a share, as the scripture tells us, in his authority and in his power and in his knowledge and in his love. They love as God loves. They know as God knows. And so they they love us more than they ever did on earth even. So they want us to win the battle. They know what we need, so they know what to pray and and they're able to help us in so many ways. So who wouldn't want those kinds of comrades in the battle? And uh, the fact that they're means we, we need to call them and ask for their help. Absolutely. And again, also the, the wonderful gift of the angels, the holy angels. And that's an area that, can we say, is rather, it makes me sad to say it this way, but a, a new age type of serial kind of notion about angels, even a Wonderful Life, which was a wonderful film, but unfortunately was rather flawed in its depiction about the nature of angels. Yes, there, I mean, there's lots of misinformation running around about, about angels. And even, you know, I'll find sometimes in Catholic circles where folks will say, oh, I, I gave my angel a name. You know, her name is Josephine or whatever, <laughs> as if the angel is some pet or something. But actually, you know, if we, if we thought about what an angel actually is, how powerful and wise and great and strong, we'd tremble in their presence. We didn't treat them like a pet. We wouldn't try to domesticate them that way. But it's, it is a wonderful thing that the people are somewhat aware of them, but, but it's also important that they, you know, learn kind of who the angels are, because in part, because the demon and our enemies are fallen angels. And so the more we know about angels in general, the more we know not just about our helpers, but about our enemy as well. And I, I learned early on as a Catholic to address my guardian angel more than once a day and St. Michael every morning. I'm, I'm happy that I'm in a parish that at the end of every single Mass prays the St. Michael prayer. They are our great companions and comrades. And talk about knowing the enemy. They know the enemy better than, than any of us because they're of the same species, so to speak, or of the same type of creature as the, the fallen enemies are. So let them help us. They're eager to help us. And they are helping us even when we don't know it. But it's your... Uh, I think makes for makes the battle go uh, better and clearer and sharper and more powerfully for us when we are aware of those comrades and we we call on them for help. We'll return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app? which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs. Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today.
the Memorari. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. Why is it, do you suppose, Paul, that we have sentimentalized the angel when, in fact, throughout scriptures, their presence is so powerfully communicated to us? That's a good question, because you, you read scripture, and what's the first thing, except in one very notable exception, what's the first thing the angel always has to tell the person that they're appearing to? Don't be afraid. <laughs> that gives you some idea of what kind of presence that is. And you know which one, which occasion it was where the angel didn't have to say, don't be afraid. It's to Our Lady. Um, that's, that says volumes. We, we, we'll go into that now. But especially, oh, I don't know, around about the maybe the time of Rubens and some of the other painting, paintings, you know, they started, they began to having the pick cherubs as little baby red-faced angels, chubby little angels, and which was cute. And then Victorian angels tended to always be like ladies in beautiful gowns and that kind of thing. And I think we've mentioned C.S. Lewis on here before, one of my favorite Christian writers. He said something to the effect one time that in Scripture, the angels are always depicted so that the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, is, fear not, don't be afraid. Whereas the Victorian angels looked as if they would say to you, oh, there, there, darling. <laughs> and, uh, why would we? I, because we're afraid of them and we wanted to tame them? Maybe because the culture in general really actually began to lose faith in their existence. And so they kind of came up with a, an artistic representation to take the place of the real thing so that we wouldn't lose them altogether. But I, I don't know why. Over and over again in the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, you're citing the scriptures, as I said earlier, but also in this particular section on the angels, there are citations throughout scriptures. That's a whole nother part of the work of this manual is to help us to really become grounded in our formation, understanding what the visible and the invisible truly are. Because again, if we, if we don't know, we're, we're at risk. We're vulnerable. 
your tax can come and we, we won't even know that they're taxed. We'll think that's something inside of us of our own or we won't know how to appeal to our comrades for help. It's it's just so very important that we we have our minds and hearts formed according to the reality that's out there because it is a beautiful, powerful, hopeful reality, a reality that can show us that, as as St. Paul says, again, in his wonderful way, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. If if we're not formed by those realities, the enemy will sneak up on us in his stealth strategy. He will undermine us. He will overcome us. And we won't even know where to turn for help. There are a lot of resources out there for those who want to learn more about the angels. And of course, your appendix in the back of the book is so incredible because it points to those that are out there that you can feel confident with. And one of those is a book by the late Joan Carol Cruz, Angels and Devils, which is a, a very important resource that Tan continues to be able to provide for us. It is. She did so many wonderful works, God bless her. And, uh, and, and especially at a time, even less, you know, where it was even less, uh, these things were even less known than they are now. And and probably got all kinds of flack from people saying, you're going to write about angels and demons? But back in the beginning of the 70s and on since then, so many times she's uh, she did the, the research, she did the, the hard work of digging up all the information from the church's tradition and from the saints and presenting it in a very clear, you know, compelling, concise way. So we're all very indebted to, to her work especially. You know, as we began, we were talking about who's – Who's our commander? Who are our comrades? And we mentioned, of course, very briefly, this, our, well, Our Lady, but then the saints and the angels. But there's one in the Manual of Spiritual Warfare that you, I was so glad you put in there, and it, and it made me sit up and go, oh, yeah, that's right. It's our own fellow Christians. We, can, we cannot discount the importance of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is so important. You know, St. Paul once spoke of a Christian brother as a fellow soldier. And we can't focus so much on our heavenly warriors that we forget our earthly comrades in arms. Because if for nothing else, we, our brothers and sisters in battle need our help and need our support so that we should be praying for them and being vigilant in our you know, supplication, our intercession for others. And, but also in our words, offering them encouragement and counsel when we find them weary or confused or when they're tempted by the, the devil's provocations. And you see St. Paul himself doing that. He, he strengthened his friend St. Timothy repeatedly by urging him to fight the good fight of the faith and to be a good soldier of, of Jesus Christ. And he would offer wise counsel to his fellow believers through his letters and his personal visits. And he taught him about the weapons and armor of spiritual warfare. So on and on, he was, he was helping his comrades on earth. And we have to do the same. We have to help others but, and, and allow ourselves to be helped. I, I have so many times gone back to the, uh, the story in the gospel of the man who was paralyzed and needed to get to Jesus for healing. The crowd was so full and Jesus was in a house. You remember the story and they couldn't get to him. But what happened? His friends actually, they wanted to get him to Jesus that then he couldn't walk himself. So they climbed up on the roof of the house and they worked and they labored to take the tiles off the roof and make a hole big enough that they could then lower him down through the roof right in front of Jesus. And it's such a powerful thing that they're doing this on his behalf because he couldn't do it on his own behalf. And there's a detail that's so important in that story. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, then he addresses the man and he heals him. That's so powerful to me. It was, I mean, it was, we don't even know if the man himself, how much faith he had. Maybe it was quite weak because of, he had lived this way for so many years. But the faith of his friends 
was something that Jesus took into account and responded to the faith of his friends who got him there. And that's been true in my life so many times when, when I felt that my own faith was weak or my own understanding was weak, that I would have faithful friends in the faith who would offer up their faith on my behalf, who would pray on my behalf, who would, when I was weary, who would, would have the strength that would carry me, so to speak. And that's just such a beautiful thing. You, I mean, you see it in, in, in physical warfare, how many times soldiers have had to carry the wounded around and, and put their own uh, lives at risk in order to get the wounded off the battlefield into a place where they can be healed. And I mentioned in the book how when St. Paul describes the weapons of our warfare and the armor and all those things, he uses for his imagery the equipment of the typical Roman soldier of his day. So there's the helmet and there's the breastplate and the covering on the loins and the covering on the, the feet and all that kind of thing and a faith and faith and a sword. And when you look at that, you say, okay, now what is missing? What part of the body is not covered here? It's the back. There's no covering protection that the soldier has for his own back. And why is that? Well, because the Roman way of fighting was that you fought in such a formation that you were the shield for your fellow soldier's back. Your sword and your shield and your fight protected his back. You had each other's back. And I think it's really true in the, in the spiritual life as well. There are parts of us that are vulnerable that will be vulnerable unless someone else takes up a shield and a sword on our behalf and we fight alongside each other. That's such a powerful thing. When you do, as you've spoken of, that, of what the Apostle Paul encouraged was to offer encouragement and wise counsel to those who, as you said, can become confused. They can be tempted by the devil's lies, accusations, doubts, enticements, you know, all those things, those different types of temptations. And we have to be careful that when we feel called to offer that encouragement and that counsel, that's indeed what it is. And it's not somehow coming out of our mouth, as James warns us, that our tongues don't become something that inflicts pain, that we don't become accusers, that we don't pass on judgments. So it's going to be important that we have a spiritual gut check, won't it, Paul? Oh, it is. And as you're saying that, I'm just thinking of my best friend. His name is Jeff. Really solid Catholic and great comrade in arms. He was actually in special forces in the Army many years ago. For a couple of years now, we meet once a week. We used to meet for breakfast and talking about things. Now we, we meet and we fast and, and pray Wednesday mornings. What an encouragement he has been to me. And, and he really is a comrade in arms. And one of the things, we actually pray a couple of the prayers from this book at the end of our time together, along with other you know, spontaneous prayers. But he is such an encourager. And that's, that's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. He's, he's the very opposite of an accuser. <laughs> and it's not that he wouldn't say something straight to me that I need to hear. But he is such an encourager and such a uh, has such good cheer all the time. And I just wish for everybody, someone like Jeff, you know, to to be that kind of soldier in the trench who's who's fighting at your side. And I know I could call on him for anything. And if my faith is weak, he'll he'll supply the difference with his faith. And we pray for each other an awful lot. And I think you know, I just encourage everybody to to try to find their own Jeff or, or several people who can uh, can fight alongside them and help to to protect their back. And that's where it can become difficult, can it, Paul? Because it may not be those who we've had long friendships with that before we've had a particular awareness of this visible and invisible and, and our own deepening relation with Christ. It may not be necessarily a family member whom we, we love, but may not 
necessarily have our back. It's um, It can be the most interesting people sometimes. I have got some folks, some that I've never met face-to-face, but only corresponded with even through Facebook, if you can imagine. Others that I've maybe met briefly, but I never get to see them, haven't seen them in years. But we have a commitment to each other to pray and to encourage. It's amazing. Even though I don't know them well, they're faithful comrades in the battle. And sometimes on a day when I really need to hear an encouragement, boom, boom, here comes a little text message it's from someone in California, since I went to Pennsylvania, it's, you know, someone halfway across the country, I'm in Georgia, and I try to do the same for them. And so it's amazing. It doesn't have to be a best friend. It doesn't have to be even a family member or someone you see all the time, but just someone that is willing to, to commit with you, to, that you're praying for each other and encouraging each other. It's, uh, it's amazing who, who turns up to be the comrades you need. There you go, because ultimately we go back to the beginning of our conversation where you pointed us to the, the wonderful Apostle John who said, you are of God, dear children, and have overcome him because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And if he is in us, fellow Christian, then he is in your brother and sister in Christ. And he will work through them and work through you to protect each other and protect the community and those, you know, those who we care about and who we love. Scripture says, pray for one another that you may be healed. The scripture talks about how together we have the mind of Christ. Talks just so many times that the Psalms talks about, you give marvelous comrades to me, the faithful who dwell in your land. Over and over again, that, that aspect we, we, we must not neglect. And, and of course, on a bigger scale, which is what the, you know, one of the other chapters is about the, in the book, is that it's, it's not just a handful of individuals around us, but it's the church as a whole. We were never intended to fight the enemy alone, or even with just a, only a handful of folks that God's given us the church. And there's so much there. Um, and, and I may be jumping ahead. I don't want to do that yet. But it, it just leads very naturally to that understanding that not only has he, has he given us the folks around us and the saints and the angels, but he's given us the, the worldwide church. As, uh, as part of the Army. I am so grateful for that since because I had 20-something years ago, I didn't know all that. And now I know it, and it makes all the difference. Oh, wonderful. Dr. Paul Thigpen, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. God bless you and all of your listeners. You've been listening to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thigpen. To hear and or to download this episode along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen.